but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together, guys. Lord Jesus, thank you for the proclamation of your holy scriptures. Thank you for providing us clarity to what does it mean to honor and worship you? What does it look like to be reborn, to see you lifted up? Thank you for giving us uh, the roadmap for how to live life, how to experience joy, how to allow our lives to count. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll use this time to equip the people of God, to equip us, Lord, to enjoy you, to exalt you, Christ, to make your name famous here in our community for people to know, be, see the revealed Christ, and to respond, as, to become Christians, Lord, to, to worship you. Would you use this time to equip us, Lord? And Holy Spirit, would you fill me and fill all of us, Lord, that we would be encouraged by one another? Would you give me the spirit of prophecy to proclaim your truth unapologetically? And would you graciously humble my heart so that it wouldn't be about me trying to get glory, but for you to be exalted? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Please be seated, family. Thanks, Josh, for that. Can we uh, give love to our, our worship team as they faithfully work hard to point us to point us yeah, in the, the right direction as we prepare uh, to, to hear the preaching of God's word and proclaim him. Um, we, we are in 1 Thessalonians. That is the book we are studying uh, right now as we are entered into our, our new series. Uh, if you have not had an opportunity to uh, we hear our first sermon it was last week, please go online because uh, it, it matters. They actually build on each other. To under, we, we see it as very important, especially when we start a new book, uh, for us to uh, understand the intro, to understand what's going on within the book, especially in epistles, uh, or any part of the canon, but epistles are very important because uh, the letters in themselves are occasional, right? They're not just historic. And so, and so what can happen, they can be talking about whatever it is based on that occasion. If you think about it in your own journey, uh, if you write a letter, uh, you don't write about everything every time you write a letter. And a couple of things may, may happens when you write a letter. First, you write a letter, it's probably really meaningful because a lot of us don't just sit around and write letters, especially homies, right? We don't, if you write a letter, you must really have a reason to write a letter. And then that letter is going to be focused on something specific. And so if we don't understand the occasion or understand what's going on, the tenor of the letter, you can miss a lot or you can really misinterpret what's going on. Right, and so, uh, so hopefully you can go back and, and listen to that. But in a nutshell, First um, Thessalonians is a wonderful epistle because Paul is is really trying to uh, encourage these individuals of, of of who they are and what they what they what's happening in their life and what Jesus is doing in their life. And he's it's a it's a letter of encouragement. In fact, I made the point that last week it's a, it's one of the most intimate letters uh, in all of the scriptures uh, because this guy went you know if you can turn to you know in your own time. When you look in, in the book of Acts, we went there last week, Acts 17, you get to see uh, Paul showing you like, exactly what happened during his time at Thessalonica and how literally uh, the people of God 
received the message, uh, both uh, Jew and Gentile alike, uh, but then they got ran out of, of the town. They got beat up and ran out <laughs> to the point where uh, he might have probably would have gotten killed. So he left three weeks of ministry, leaves, and wonders what's going to happen to those people that I preach the gospel to. You know, I mean, what's going to happen? Because guess what? Uh, you see in the scriptures there that Jason was housing these guys, but they, had, they got a chance to leave and escape. This guy has to stay there and still endure the ridicule of being part of that, that group who is kind of turning the world upside down. And so you have Jason and all these other new believers, and he's really nervous. Like, how are they going to stand firm? How are they going to be the, the men and women of God uh, that God wants them to be? And so out of that concern and that desire of wanting them to stand firm in the midst of persecution, which I brought up last week, that we don't really get. Uh, but I think that's why one of the reasons it's important for us to read, uh, obviously, all of God's word, but specifically First Thessalonians, because hopefully it helps us uh, build a heart for the persecuted church. Because even right now in our world to date, there are places in our world where you literally have to forsake your family. You can get murdered from being a Christian. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us as the people of God to help our brothers and sisters in those areas and know that, hey, they have brothers and sisters who are praying for them, who are locking arms with them. And what does it mean to actually care for the persecuted church? So that's what's happening. You got these. So he's wondering, man, are you are you are you still walking with God? Uh, and, 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 he, and also he understands he's been in this journey for a while. And so he knows, like all of us, you have a great emotional experience. God, you experience God's grace. The Holy Spirit does something to us, right? And we're like, wow, that was powerful. You've been there, right? You're sitting there and someone's teaching the word or you're reading the Bible or something happens or it's under. And, and it's like, man, it's like the person was just talking directly to you. And it just hits you. But then you're like, man, I'm going to be changed. I'm going to cast out all my idols. I'm going to be a new person. I'm going to quit cussing. Whatever you want to, you know, in your mind, which your resolution you make when the Holy Spirit grabs you. And then, you know, a week later, two weeks later, it starts to wear off. And you wonder, was that just an emotional experience? Is this real? Am I really a Christian? You know, because, man, I don't walk around my Bible like that person. And I'm not always quoting things like that person. And, I'm, and you start comparing yourself. Or you start realizing, man, there's still sin struggles in your life. There's still idols that you kind of hold on to, and then you throw them back down, and you, and you grab them again. And so you just wonder, like, where am I spiritually? Is this real? So, so Paul is trying to address a lot of all that stuff that happens with the new believer, saying, hey, this is going to be a crazy road, but you need to stand firm. But, oh, guess what? And also, I'm so thankful because you have stood firm. And let me tell you, here's why I know. And so he goes into last week, you know, here's some things you've done to let me know that <laughs> you're serious about this, that the Holy Spirit has done something in you, which, oh, by the way, as he's encouraging them, it's not all about, oh, you're serious because you pulled up your bootstraps and you're awesome. He's like the, the manifestation of you being willing to, in, to endure persecution, for you to be willing to endure ridicule, for you to be willing to identify with me, considering that it might cost you your family and or your life lets me know, not that you just are very courageous, it lets me know that God is working in you, that the Holy Spirit has done something supernatural in you that's making you withstand all these tests. Can I encourage you, body? For I, you, know, you know I love this body, and I just think you're all the best body in the world. But I, I want to encourage you. One of the reasons why God has graced me to I just adore you, because I've watched many of you withstand a lot of drama, I've watched this body hold firm, 
and fight and lock arms and say, we're going to be together. We're going to fight the fight of faith together. We're going we're to serve. We're going to neighbor in our community. And I just want you to know, don't get it twisted. The thing that can happen a lot of times, especially with a ministry like ours where we are on the grind, is you can start getting arrogant and thinking, man, look at us. We're, we're really serving. You know, we're in the communities. We're doing all these things. And we can start thinking that look at what we're doing. But I hope this is a reminder. All of these things that we see happening at Mac Avenue Community Church and the things that are happening in our community and, and the neighbors you're meeting and the favor that's happening in your life, it's only because it's evidence that God is working. Amen. It's evidence that God is doing. For you not to just pack it up after getting bit by dogs, James, and, you know, you lose your job and you know, all this stuff. You don't go, man, forget this. You know, I'm going to do what everybody else do. I'm just going to, where do you, where can I get the most money in the nicest place? And I'm going to go there. That's in the name of the Holy Jesus. That's what we do as Christians, right? Yeah. Right. God led me to Hawaii, right? <laughs> I want to propose, it's not just because you and Maggie just, you know, just, just got, you know, just this more, more fortitude. It's just evidence of God's grace. You know, I remember a couple years ago, you know, Alex and Sarah, you know, they, you know, they left here and family in Jersey, family in Virginia. And it was really difficult. Wanting to minister to the family, you know, wanting to, man, start having kids. The parents are wonderful parents. They want to see their, their grandkids. They want their, <laughs> their, their kids to, to know and be with and hang out with their grandparents and wants to serve his brother and all this stuff. And man. Now you're a lawyer and you can, too, where, where, where do I want to go? I can, you can kind of call your own shot. You can write your own ticket. I mean, think of the pressure there. And they chose to say, you know, we're going we're gonna to be here. And every year, it's a struggle. They see their family in the summer, and they're like, man, this is a struggle. But I propose, I don't think it's just you guys just choosing to do this. I just want to remind you. And you can, in two years, you can decide to go somewhere. But, but it's cool to see that's just nothing but God's grace. That's just God's grace. I remember when E, when they first got married, the biggest thing was like, my whole family don't love, don't love, the, they don't love the Lord. And why would I move thousands of miles across the country? This doesn't make any sense. And it could have, you know, been here and, and, and saw the negative and, and kind of critiqued and, right, and bought, bought your time. You could have you had a very different attitude. But as we guys know, the testimony of our, our sister and bro is hungered down, bought a house, got the biggest tomatoes in the community now. <laughs> right? And, and just and a life giver, right? At least she's not walking around. She misses her family. It's a hard thing, you know? But she, man, she's giving life and caring. And I can go around this room and the whole sermon can be just pointing out evidences of God's grace. I'm not even lying, but any, every person in this room of how God has, has worked through you. I can go, I can, stories of Kamal's, I look at him, Edie. But you know what I want to say? I, I praise God for this body because it's just evidence that God is working. God is working through you. He's working through this body. So as Paul is wanting to do. He wants, he wants us to be encouraged. But look what he does here. He, he encourages the body even more by wanting to help them understand uh, what he wants from them. And, and as a pastor, I, I want to propose, if you, the title I say I have a, it's like, May Our Lives Speak Hope in the Gospel. Right? That we have no regrets. Because as a pastor, I want to propose, a pastor wants 
from his flock. I was like, what do, you know, as I think of, as I walk with the Lord, like what do I desire for myself and and for the people here? Uh, Is I I desire for us to be trustworthy people with the gospel. I mean, think about it. You, you're walking around, you're being your own God. And then for whatever reason, God is gracious to say, I'm not going to allow you just to grow up and just be a, an unbeliever, but oh, and I'm going to put you in a covenant community and I'm going to give you a heart to respond to God. And one day you're going to say, I want to love, I want to love Jesus. And, and you're going to grow up in the gospel. And then God is going to continually show you that actually your life is not your own, that you're, that he made you to proclaim him, that the, that the, the, the joy comes when you, when you're walking around and whatever you're doing as a professional and you're figuring out ways to make, make much of Christ. And you're, you're proclaiming Christ and you're telling people about Jesus and you're sending people down and you're, you're taking these risks and people are misunderstanding you, but you're just, you're saying, no, but I, this is my life. I, I, I am a gospel proclaimer. This is what he's called me to do. Matthew 28, right? Luke 24, John 20, to be the sent people of God. This is what God wants you to do, right? This is what he's asked us to do. He says, you be born again and then I reestablish you on that mandate to make me known to the world and build worshipers. So that's, that's the... That's the, like the summum bonum, they call it. That's the, that's the apex of what we are to be about. That is the, the crux of everyone's life. The unbeliever should be about that too. They just don't know it because they haven't experienced that revelation or they haven't received it because for whatever reason. But if you're here now and God has revealed himself to you and you realize that Jesus hung on the cross for me, died for me, rose for me, and gave me new life to rebirth me so that I can actually retell that story, that's why you're here. Not in this building, on earth, <laughs> to be a worshiper. And so that's what God wants us to be about. He wants us to proclaim the gospel, understand the good news, to make disciples, right? That's the, that's the main verb that we talk about all the time. He wants Alex to be making disciples, young men who become image bearers. And we have babies, but these babies, to, to bear God's image well, we, we're making disciples, Right? So everything we do is about how do we navigate God's world and how do we exalt Christ? So I tell my kids, you know, we're homeschooling and, and the world tells you, you, get a, you, you go to school to get a job. You go to school to get smart, to get paid. It's an absolute lie. It's not why you go to school. The Christian has a different perspective, right? We tell our kids, no, that's not why you go to school, son. You go to school to actually learn how to navigate God's world. That's why you go to school. And so you learn how to do science and you learn math and you learn and you learn how to read because that you need these skills so that you can know how to navigate God's world well. And then you get a job because that helps you navigate God's world to proclaim the gospel and to love people and disciple people. But it's not about getting paid. It's about this is God's world. How do I live in it and, and experience it and enjoy it and use it and protect it for his glory? See, that's all God-centered. That's not man-centered. Now, If that's the reason we're here, that's why we live, to proclaim him. That's why it's so important for for me as a pastor in my own life and for you to say, Lord, the dream is for us to be trustworthy with that mandate. That's your mandate. I want us to fill it and go out and say, not, not out of pressure, but out of joy. How do I put myself out there? How do I equip myself? To be a man and a woman who can preach the gospel through how I love my wife, how I care for my kids, how I love my neighbors. How can I be a man and woman to be encouraging, to be a life giver, if this is really true? 
And so what breaks my heart or what will break my heart is if my own life or any one of you who's, who's part of this body, that we're not trustworthy with the gospel, that we just waste our life. We just kind of go through life and we, we make our money. We do a couple good things to satisfy our conscience because it's really man-centered or woman-centered at its core. But man, we're not giving our life away. We're not just, just dying to self, picking up our cross and like pouring it out. Don't you want to be able to say that when you're at the, the ending of your days and say, man, I left it all out there for Jesus. Don't you want to have no regrets? Don't you want to be able to say you took risk? That you went in there and you tried to disciple people and you, you loved people and you gave resources when you didn't know what was going to happen? Don't you want to be able to say you gave it all to the Lord? So here's what's happening here. He, I want to propose that this text here is an interesting text because we're going to walk through it. But it's weird because I'm going to let you know what he's ha- what's happening in the first century, but I'm trying to figure out how to bring it over to where we are now. So give me some grace as we try to navigate that. But I think there's something to be said that I think that the, 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 the tie through it all from first century all the way to now is that there's a sense of, of Paul saying, man, I was trustworthy to the gospel. And that he was saying it for two reasons. First, he was saying it because it's, if there's any haters in the group, right? And, and, and trust me, we, we, we have a history there. There's always haters, <laughs> wherever you go, and there's haters in the church. And he said, if there's haters, and we know there's haters, because remember, they, they're so committed to hating Paul, they had a travel ban. I mean, you got to be, you got to, people got to like not like you to follow you around and tell people about you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, I think we'll get away. I'm going to go move to Ohio. And they're like, I'm in Ohio too. How you doing? I hate Eric. Let me tell you about Eric. You know so they beat him up at Thessalonica. He leaves. They follow him. Right? <laughs> Read Acts. We just went through Acts. So, so he had haters. But I also think, so he wanted, he wanted these new believers, as these guys are saying, you, don't, you shouldn't follow Paul. You know he's kind of shady. You know he's really in it for the money. You see his house? You know, you know what he's about. He's, don't, don't follow Paul. But also... I think he proclaims what we're going to see in these six verses uh, to, to actually say, be like this. It's actually a demonstration. So I think it's an apologetic. It's a defense. But I propose to you it's also a demonstration. This is how I was before you. This is how you should be if you really want to pour your life out. Okay? So let's look at it real quick, family. Go to verse 1. And as, you, as, you, as we're going through the verses, just keep in your mind, keep thinking, what does it look like for for me to give my, myself out? What does it look like for me to have no regrets? What does it look like for me to be trustworthy with the gospel? Look how he stars it. Now remember, I, again, I'm hoping you've listened to the sermon last time. Deep affection for these people. They were Christians for a short time, and he's like, man, I'm so excited. You're Christians for that short of a time, but yet you're not only living the gospel, but people in other areas are hearing about Jesus from you, from your demonstration. Kudos. I'm so proud of you. This is Paul talking, talking in the first 10 verses. And then he, he starts talking about the sense of defense. This is defense language, right, family? Look, I'm just going to read through it real quick, and we'll, we'll, then we'll parse it out. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, right? But, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of, the much, midst of much conflict. This is like language when you're trying to defend that you're the real deal. 
Let me bounce back up. Verse one. He starts off with, you know. He says this all throughout the epistle. It's emphatic in Greek, if I can bring up some Greek stuff, uh, testifying or proposed to his character. And then, he, and then he, what he does, he talks about this whole concept of coming to you again. He keeps talking about when I came to you, when I came to you. Verse 9, he's going to talk about when I visited you. He keeps bringing up this concept of like, you know, when I was with you. He's trying to keep jogging their mind like, hey, what I'm talking about to, with you is just not theory. Man, we live together. We did this thing. You know what I'm talking about. And I propose, and, this, and trust me, by now, let me just be really clear here. I am not trying to make a correlation between my ministry and Paul's. Okay? I know that that brother is on a whole nother level. But I will propose to you uh, that our hearts, uh, Pastor Leon and our hearts, have always been, and I think to a fault, because I think it has some hindrances to the culture of our local body, but I propose to you that we really try to share at the end of the day, you can be able to say, that dude was on a block with me. He wasn't in some castle somewhere, but he know, they know people, they're available, right? That we were with you. That I can say with you, if we have a discussion, man, you know when we was at the three-on-three. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He says, guys, you know how it was. We were, we were suffered. We, we were shamefully treated. People treated us bad. You saw it, right? But guess what? You know what you also saw? In the midst of all that, you saw boldness. Right, you saw bonus. I love this concept of much conflict here. I propose that much conflict almost, it's a reminder of them that this, that this, this, this it's, not just, it's not just struggle. It's like when people are trying to, like they're, they're putting in effort to kind of subdue an opponent. Right? He's like, people try to stop us, and we were bold. And I want to pause on this bold piece for a moment because I want to, I want to propose, you know, if, you, if we're talking, what does it mean to like have no regrets? What does it mean to pour your life out? I want to say this is one of them. So I want to jump to 20, 2017. That, that it, I, want to ask, I want to propose, if you want to be trustworthy with the gospel, here, here's an here's a application trait right here for you. Boldness. I want to propose, if, 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 if we're not bold people, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't ask the Lord to give you boldness, I, I want to propose this is one of the main traits that it takes when we're talking about gospel proclamation. It is hard to be a gospel proclaimer if you do not ask God for boldness, to be willing to share something that might be popular or might not be popular. Boldness. He asked for this in Acts chapter 4. They pray for this. Peter and the crew, it just seems a, a trait that is very important to gospel proclamation. And I notice he talks about this boldness. And I say ask God, right? Because in this text here, uh, some, some translators talk about we were given courage. Um, and what this is, is a, this is a, a sense of uh, when God, the, the, the indicator is that it's not that you just had boldness, but it's that God gave it to you, Right? That the source of the courage here, source of the boldness is God. And so boldness, when you think of that, I want to just give you clarity of what I was proposed, what he's meaning here. Boldness is faithfulness in adverse conditions, right? Is that you're still able, 
You're still able to do what you're supposed to do, right? Even if you feel like, man, this might not be the right condition, right? In that, in that bonus, particularly here, he's talking about proclamation, right? Being there and being in the midst and sharing. Have you ever had that where there's just not a good time to say something? When is there ever a good time to say hard stuff? Never. When is it? Really? Don't you, ever, don't you fool yourself? I fool, you know what? This is, not, oh, this is not the right time. I'm going to wait to tell you I don't like your, your kid. I'm just kidding. I'm going to wait to tell you that I want to break up with you. I'm going to wait to, like, give me any bad news dealing with someone's character, growth, right? Tell me when is a good time to, to, to talk to people about hard issues. So I just, can, we, can we submit as a body to not use that excuse, Right? Now, Proverbs does say that there's some wisdom in having an apt word. So there's a, there's a sense of wisdom, right? There's a sense of you can embarrass people. There's a time to do stuff in that way. But just talking with individuals and, and, proc, and gospel proclamation, I'm going to stick with the text here. He's talking about, man, advancing the kingdom, right? Being in the midst and trying to figure out how to proclaim Christ. I want to propose to you guys, there's this... There's, there's, at some point, whether it's at dinner table, in the backyard, to say to someone, hey, what's your spiritual background? I think you know I'm a believer, but I just want to hear more about your journey. You know, I think that's the best way. But to say something like, do you know Jesus? Like, that's just weird. And I don't know when you're going to say that where it's going to come off really cool. Like, that was so cool the way you told me I'm not a, I'm not a believer. That was awesome. Like, it's just, that is what it is, Right. Uh, you had a quick, quick question, sis? I was going to ask you, uh, to re- what you said was really cool. I was going to ask you to repeat it when you said God is faithful in the... You don't even remember that. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully it's because I was in the spirit. Okay, sorry, sis. That's the Lord to hopefully remind me as I'm sharing. So, no, thank you. So, so boldness, so key, key trait, boldness. But look what he says here. He, he says, well, we have boldness with you, verse 4. And, it, and this is an appeal. He's, these are people that love him, right? He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So he talks about this appeal. And now here, there's probably two reasons he's, he's sharing this. It, it, it's not just the sense of these guys saying, oh, Paul is a, you know, he's a, he, this is a huge scam, but there's also the issue of the culture of the day, the Hellenistic culture that I talk a lot about when I talk about uh, the New Testament books, right? You, you know, in, in, in Hellenistic days, you know, wisdom was everything. Wisdom, you, you desired to be wise. You desired to move and to understand what was going on. So you had, the, you know, your Plato and Aristotle and all these people. So you, this was like really important. And so what you had is you had people who were really smart philosophers and you had a lot of people who wanted to be really smart philosophers and many of them used that framework to try to make money in this day, okay? And so what he was trying to do was he was trying to separate himself from people who were just trying to use smart thinking or wisdom or whatever you want to call it to actually have financial gain. And he was saying, hey, the gospel is not on that level. The good news of Jesus is not, we're, I'm, not, I'm not telling you Christ just so that you can have so I can have more stuff. So, so, he's, so he's trying to kind of distance himself from people who are kind of peddling wisdom uh, to, get, to get more money or to even get more acclaim, to, to act like they, 
They knew what they were talking about. And so he tried to separate this kind of wisdom from divine truth, as it were. Let me parse out a few of these words real quick so we can know just the heart of the argument here. First and foremost, he starts with saying, hey, there, my appeal did not spring from error. So I'm going to go back to this whole concept of what does it mean to pour your life out? What does it mean to be trustworthy with the gospel? Boldness. And then he goes here, and I want to propose, here's what it does not mean. Here, here's where, if these, are, if these are the areas we find ourselves in, I want to propose that we, we might want to pause and say, man, am I, am I being faithful to what God wants me to be about in the gospel? So error, first of all, this intellectual confusion. I'm going to say idolatry in a sense, right? Because you can teach wrong stuff all the time. I say idolatry because, you know, people are teaching, you know, that, man, uh, sadly Muslims or uh, Jehovah's Witness, um, the Mormonism, right? You can just have error. And he's like, look, this, is, this isn't about people thinking about what's the smartest thing, which, by the way, I think he is very intentional. He's trying to deal with how people have kind of contemporary wisdom and what they think is smart. And then he's saying, let's battle that against divine truth, where God reveals something to you. And that's why the gospel was always stupid to people in the mindset of, of smart people in the first century. Because how in the world can you actually give your whole life to somebody who died on a cross and you haven't found him and you're just worshiping this, this, this invisible person? That's bizarre. Oh, and then, you're gonna, then Jesus is going to do something even crazier. In this day and time, like, like human flesh was bad, spirit was good, but Jesus came as a man, right, fully God. What, it's like, are you trying to make people upset in the first century? It's like everything that they thought would be awesome, that would be most powerful, God does the opposite, almost to just humble people. Let me humble you. You don't like flesh? By the way, I made flesh. How can you say something that I made is not clean? So he starts with like, this was an error. What I was proclaiming to you was an error. He says, there, there wasn't impure motives. Now the motives here, again, I think he's, he's talking about the, the greed piece, the money piece, because when you look at the rest of the context, that's, where he's, that's, that's what he, he talks about. Basically, how do you like not manipulate people for financial gain? He says, guys, like this impurity sense is like, you can put up impurity, or, or filth is the word. That the way I came to you wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't this girded in filth, right? I want to deny to you that, that I was greedy. I wasn't just trying to get your money. He's like, I don't, this wasn't about that. I wasn't trying to flatter you. He says, in other words, the deceit. There was no trickery. I wasn't, when I came to you, when we, when we came to you, Silas, Paul, and Timothy, I wasn't trying to trick you. I wasn't, uh, there wasn't trickery here. There was this. There was an honest assessment of wanting to exalt Christ. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted, and, that, and, I, and I propose verse 4 is kind of, in my, my opinion, is the linchpin of verse 1 through 6, bringing it all together. He's saying, this is, this is why I was doing this. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So he says, you, you want to have traits of, of no regrets. You want to have traits that's going to allow you to be the man or woman that God wants you to be. Ask the Holy Spirit for Holy Spirit boldness. And then ask God to give you grace to, to refrain from those areas of deception and error and impurity. And then ask God to fill your, whole, to, to fill your heart with the, 
with the desire to, to please him, to please God, it says in the scriptures here. And I love, he, I love what he does here in verse four, guys, if you're in your Bibles, when he says, uh, he says, we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. And then he says, and God tests our hearts. Well, approved by God and assessing our hearts or test our hearts is actually the same verb. Uh, and, and, and what the author is wanting us to know is that basically God, what he does is beautiful. He actually tests you and approves you, right? See, usually if you get a test, you have to approve yourself, right? Right? To say you passed it. You passed the test. Here's the test. I'm going to pass it. What God does in his grace, he approves, he, he tests you and approves you. Or I would say the other way around, right? He approves you, then he tests you, and then you show that you approve because you passed the test. All by God's grace and power. So it's actually the same. So he's trying to say, hey, we, we were doing this to please God, not... And, I mean, think about that. I mean, it's amazing. He's like, look, at, look, I'm getting beat up. Do you think I'm going to get beat up like this? If this is about a, a few bucks? See, a person who is going to live a life of no regret, leaving it all out there, family, I want to propose that you have to have a keen sense of God's sovereignty, that man, he's the one who's approved you. He's made you his child, right? So when those testings come, you can just enjoy the fact that you're his, and you can live in light of what the Bible says of how you are to live by faith. Let me give you an example. This happened this week. This was really cool. Um, you know, I've, been, I've asked a few people in the body to, we, we, we have, man, I, wanna say, I don't know how many new people are going to be in discipleship. Jenny, I have no clue. Like six new people are going to be in discipleship coming up. And, um, and um, you know, so we're, we're getting individuals to disciple them and all that. And it's cool because I had a few people, I was like, hey, will you disciple, will you pray about discipling this person? And, you know, many people, usually what happens, and there's no pressure, this is how it is, people freak out when I call you and say, hey, I want you to disciple somebody. Uh, very rarely do I have people go, cool. They're just like, okay, uh, let me pray about it, you know, and sure, like, I don't know if I can do this. But you know what happens? Uh, most times than not, everyone will they'll pause, they'll seek the Lord, and they'll come back and go, man, you know, um, a little nervous, uh, but I want to take the step of faith. I want to do this. And here, here's a little email um, that I got from a person who I asked a question to disciple, and they, their response was this. Uh, Eric, Pastor, when I, felt, uh, when I got your email, I felt overwhelmed with insecurity. Um, basically feel like in my own discipleship relationship, I want that to flourish more, uh, which is going to be getting soon with some people that I'm excited about. Uh, in our community, so praise God for that. Uh, and my walk with the Lord isn't where I like it. I've been going through um, a book right now that's talking about um, inability. Here's something that stood out. If any human being possessed the power to create lasting change in another human being, Jesus would not have had to come. The incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus stands as clear historical evidence that human power for change does not exist. It was a reminder that discipleship is kind of like parenting. It's a gift that God allows us to be a part of to teach people to be like him, and yet the power to grow and change is only through his power, both for me and the person I'm discipling. So I'd like to disciple and be a part of growth and godliness. Isn't that a cool perspective? See, I want to propose that that individual at that point 
was not thinking about their skill set, right? They, they, they realized, man, I don't have the skills. You know, they, 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 at that point, they weren't thinking about, well, do I tell the best jokes in my theater? Like, they, all that stuff was, they weren't thinking about what they can bring to the table. It seems like that person just simply said, God has mandated this. God wants me to grow and wants them to grow. And this is what actually why I'm on earth to do. So I want to take a step of faith, knowing I don't have all the skills, and I just want to obey God. To, to give your life, to, to have no regrets, I'm proposing we have to have a keen sense of that sense that God has basically, he's the one who's appointed you, right? He's the one who's called you to these things. And so when he tests you, you know he'll be the one to continue to approve you in these things. That was Paul's heart. He had a keen sense of the fact that, man, here's what God has done. He's the one who's doing this. And when that is the case, I propose, then you don't become a man pleaser. I'm going to pause on that. I'm going to go to verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, basically, to do so. Right? He says, man, we didn't come trying to make you feel good and, and make you like us. We didn't, we didn't come to do that so that you would give us stuff. Like, that wasn't our heart, and you know that, he says. He says, we weren't seeking glory from people. He says, well, guess what? I'm an apostle. I could have I said, man, you better listen to me. I'm an apostle. He said, I didn't do that. I didn't go down that road. And look what he does here. Again, he gives these negative assertions. So it's like he says, you, you want to have character traits to, to exalt Christ, to pour your life out, to have no regrets, to be trustworthy with the gospel? Be bold. Hey, but don't be like this. And he says, you don't want to be a person who's trickery. And he gives the traits of what negativism is and what it looks like to dishonor God. And he says, but what you want to have is you want to have this keen sense. Also, if you want to have a trait, Keen sense that, man, God, is a, he's, he's appointed you and that his testing will continue to show that you are approved. And he goes back again and says, hey, but here's some traits of non-trustworthiness. <laughs> so he goes, trustworthy, non-trustworthy, trustworthy, non-trustworthy. You see that? And look what he gives here. He gives three negative assertions. But I love, I wanna, I'm going to let you know this. He gives negative assertions and then he gives kind of evidence to the contrary. Here's a negative assertion and here's actually how you know that, that, that this wasn't us. So he says, I, we never use flattery, right? And then he, he does that sense, as you know, right? He does that. Remember, you were around me. Did you remember me trying to flatter? And let me, let me pause there. Um, flattery. A lot, we, 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 I think we're convinced. We know that it means... Uh, saying nice things to people to get your way, right? But as I was doing research, and this is, this is interesting to me, which is true, which we don't want to be about. It's not about trying to get ours, right, when, we, when we're complimenting people. But another piece of flattery is this, and hear, hear this, is tailoring truth to fit popular opinion. You hear me? Tailoring truth to fit popular opinion. It's basically, you know what flattery is? It's the opposite of boldness. See, boldness says, I don't care if you're going to like this because I got to do the right thing. Flattery says, 
I care if you like this. So I got to say this in a way that you like it. And guess what? When you do that, nine times out of ten, the thing you're supposed to say doesn't get communicated. So, so I say that, family, because, man, I'm, my prayer is for you and I, man, to be people where we're like, you know what? My life is no longer my own. And we actually learn how to glory and just enjoy Christ where we can graciously be, even be misunderstood for the greater glory of God being exalted, where people have to leave and go, man, that was, I can't believe she said that or did this, but it was kind. Their heart was to love you. There was prayerfulness before it. There was a passion for God's glory, not just saying you right, or I'm going to tell you about yourself, any of that fleshly stuff. But there's a desire for people to be more like Jesus. You might get misunderstood. In fact, I guarantee you, you will get misunderstood. But man, when you're 80 years old, or you're 90 years old, and you say, man, I spent the last 40, 50 years of my life asking God to give me the grace to be courageous and to not be a respecter of persons, but to exalt Christ. Can you imagine God gives you that moment by moment, day by day for the next 50, 60 years for you to be willing to just give of yourself and your reputation so that God might be exalted in people's lives? And at the end of your days, you're sitting there and your grandkids come up and they love Jesus and your other and your nephews and your nieces come up and they love Jesus and your friends come up and they love Jesus. And his tears are rolling down your eyes because they're saying, Dad, thanks for being consistent. Thanks for loving us and being consistent with the good news. Thanks that I didn't have to figure out what you really was trying to say or that you told me all this nice stuff and now I'm a crack at it because you never told me the truth. Don't you want to go out like that? I want to go out, man, with my, my man, just like sweet Sarah and my kids and their kids, by God's grace. And even now, I was like, man, my prayer is that if I was to die next year, that, man, my kids would be able to say, man, my dad, was a, he was an absolute goofball. But, man, he was consistent with telling me the truth. He was consistent with loving me. And, and pushing me toward Jesus and not, not, not fearing me more than he feared God. Paul says, man, we, we, we didn't fear you or the, the, the establishments around. He says, he's, the other thing, he says, put on, basically put, put on this mask. You know, we didn't put on a mask to cover up greed. This whole pretext for greed is what that is. We didn't put on a mask. And he says, God is witness that God knows our heart. And you know, this is to, from the pastor, right? That basically, hey, we don't, we don't get into the game or you shouldn't get into this game to just try to get paid. It doesn't make no sense, right? But I want to propose to you, that's kind of simple. We get that and I hope, I've modeled that and I hope that we see Paul's like, man, we're not doing this just to get money for you, right? And even as we establish this local body, we wanted to make sure that people understood that is not, the, that is not our focus. But you know what? We gotta, I want to bring this to you, though, because you're like, well, okay, that's, that's, for, that's for people in clergy. <laughs> but I'm like, man, what does it look like for you to, to live a life where really your life is about financial gain? Right? I want to propose that whole point is to have the, 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 the context of the passage that money becomes an idol. And so now the person is willing to do whatever to get it, resources to get it, comfort and money. 
So is that hindering anybody to have no regrets? Are you finding yourself like, man, I, I really need this stuff? Money. He says, God knows my heart. You're crazy with idolatry. And then he says, obviously, praise, uh, glory uh, from people. The whole concept is, uh, he, says, I, he says, I had a freedom and a right to proclaim to you who I am. He says, but what I wanted to do was submit, and I was not trying to be a respecter of persons. I wanted to fear God more. So these are the traits he gives us. He says, you know, if, you, if you're operating in this way, you're going to probably get back on the end of your life and be like, man, I totally, I totally sold out. I didn't give myself fully to God. But, he says, I want to propose to you, I want to end on boldness. How shall we live in the sense of what, what is God asking us? Boldness, being authentic, being vulnerable, being pure. Like asking God to continue to break, put those in us. And now you're going to be able to proclaim him. We're going to be proclaiming Christ. And family, I, this is one of the areas that I want us to really grow in. What does it look like for us to be proclaiming Christ if we really believe that this is what God has asked us to do? What does it look like for us to be just, just like godly reckless with that? Introducing ourselves to individuals and neighboring and at your jobs, what does it look like for you and I to be putting ourselves in conversations where people are having an encounter with Jesus? They have to say, that person was just asking me about where I am with Jesus. What does that look like? In our walks of life. So, if greed and manipulation and characterize, you know, isn't characterizing Paul's actions, then what was his actions? We're going to look at that next week. That's um, verses 7 through 12, okay? What those character traits look like. But here, I want us to see God has entrusted us with the gospel. It seems like Paul is saying, I was entrusted with the gospel, and here is what it looked like for us to live a life of faith. You saw it. My prayer for us, for myself, is that we would leave here, family, young people, asking God to give you grace to learn how to be trustworthy with the gospel. And the question I would just ask you to be asking yourselves in that group is, are you trustworthy with the gospel right now? Is, a God, is, is, is what's supposed to happen with the gospel happening in and through your life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your clear word, for the testimony of Paul uh, to see what you've done in his life and through him. We pray that you would be exalted uh, through the proclamation of your word. We ask, Lord, that we would uh, be able to, as Paul did, to submit our lives to you with great hope and passion and joy. And to see you allow us to tell our friends about you, Jesus. Lord, equip us on how to talk about you, Christ. Give us community so we can continue to persevere. Lord, we ask, we just continue to ask that the Christian life wouldn't be a burden, but would be a joy. And that the, the, the proclaiming of the good news of Christ 
would be a joy. In Jesus' name, amen. We had the audacity to think that we could be our own gods. Um, That's why Jesus, his mercy blows me away. He could have destroyed us all. The scriptures make it really clear. He creates us out of love. We choose ourselves. We didn't choose God. He could have destroyed us. Instead of destruction, he brings mercy. He brings his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to rise from the dead, to pay for our sin, to conquer sin, Satan, death, and evil. And then he makes it really clear that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is Christ speaking, letting us know now access to relationship with God, reestablishing that communion with the Lord, being born again, as the scriptures say, happens through Jesus Christ by receiving him by faith, asking him to forgive us of our sins. We repent of our sins, experience his love. The Holy Spirit fills us, and God tells us that the work he's begun in us, now as new creations, he will bring to completion. That's the beauty of the gospel story, is stars of God's love, our disobedience, his mercy wipes it out. But that story does not matter if you do not receive the free gift. Basically, you are still in your sin, and you will still receive or have to pay for your sin. So we're asking as a people of God, if there's anyone in this room who has not experienced that salvation of Christ, that you would make that right now. By believing, putting your trust, your confidence, your faith in Christ, um, not believing facts, but putting your trust and faith in the person of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you are doing that or if you have questions about that, come see me. I'd love to talk to you about that more so that you can clearly understand the gospel so that you can be a Christian and know Jesus. Um, what we're going to do right now, um, as you're thinking through that, hopefully even responding to that, uh, we're going to do our tithing offering. Uh,